Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Three weeks after my second child was born, I got an email from my boss asking if I could go to New Jersey, and I live in the South, (laughs) so it was not a close trip. This was a plane ride away for a meeting, and I didn't really know how to respond to that because, no, of course, I couldn't go to that. I was still bleeding. I was nursing my child every hour. And so I told her that I wasn't comfortable. Did she really feel like she needed me? And she said, yes, we really need you. And at that point, I felt like my job was in jeopardy and I felt a little threatened. And so I had to go. Hello everyone. Today's episode is a bit different than usual. I wanted to give women this space to talk about how America is failing mothers. And I had an outpouring of mothers reaching out to share their experience. When it comes to motherhood in America, it does seem that we are working against the grain and not with it. Whether we talk about the lack of maternity leave, the lack of health insurance options and significant financial burden after birth, the infant and maternal mortality rates, the disproportionate rates in which black women and women of color suffer from complications when compared to white women, lack of childcare options, and the significant cost of childcare, or just the overall stress of maintaining a career with children or staying home full-time with children. It's all incredibly difficult. In the next two episodes, several mothers from across the U.S. will share their own personal journeys. My goal is to bring light to these very real issues that face mothers in America today, because the more we talk about the issues, the more we are able to change them going forward and create a better life for our own children. Never underestimate the power of women, and especially women who team together for positive change. Let's get started. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, Lindsay. My name's Sarah, and today I'm going to be discussing my postpartum experience. I live in the North Shore of Massachusetts with my family, which consists of our Labradoodle, my husband, and our 13-month-old daughter. I've been a nurse for 10 years, and I work as a nurse practitioner at one of the bigger hospitals in Boston. For three years, we tried to conceive went through miscarriages, IVF, and then a high-risk pregnancy, which resulted in the birth of our amazing daughter. I thought that motherhood would be my fairy tale ending after going through everything we had gone through. Unfortunately, a few weeks after our daughter was born and my husband went back to work, our daughter started to experience colic. At the same time, I was trying to navigate how to exclusively pump because she was not latching, yet I was making a lot of milk. I felt completely unsupported in this journey and ultimately learned how to exclusively pump on Instagram. I was starting to experience an incredible amount of anxiety and was also experiencing a lot of sadness. 
As an NP, I questioned whether I was experiencing postpartum depression, but I felt so ashamed and so guilty for feeling this way after everything we had gone through and that we finally had this amazing and healthy baby girl. Many friends told me that the postpartum blues were common, so I tried what I could to just get through those challenging weeks. Fast forward to my six-week postpartum visit when I was still struggling. I wasn't even given the postpartum screen for depression. My OB simply asked, how's your mood been? I kind of brushed it off. I told her some days were hard and we kept going. Ultimately, at four months, I reached out to my OB and asked for a medication to treat the depression, which I labeled as anxiety because, again, I was so embarrassed. I finally was able to do this after advocating for myself and talking to a dear friend who had gone through postpartum depression as well. Overall, this entire experience made me feel alone and scared and unsupported by the medical system. Despite working as a medical provider, the biggest kicker of this is that I had to advocate for myself when I was in such a bad place. I even had a physician tell me, who had seen our daughter as a specialist, that pumping would not be successful and that I needed to quote-unquote breastfeed, as she called it. I was breastfeeding, but no one was giving me that credit. Fast forward to now, and my daughter has received 13 months of exclusively pumped breast milk. I've talked to other women who are trying to navigate exclusive pumping or postpartum mood changes, and it's incredible when you open up to other women and share your experience because then they can come forward to you or have friends of theirs come forward to you when they need help. Overall, I feel our medical system is not doing a good enough job for women, especially in the postpartum period. We can't accept that six weeks is an okay amount of time to go between giving birth to a baby and then being seen. And in that time, be expected to be breastfeeding and doing well and having everything under control. It's such a challenging time, and I really feel strongly that more could be done between that period, as it's done in European countries. First and foremost, I strongly believe that we should have universal health care and that women should never go without insurance, especially in the postpartum period. I am extremely privileged to be educated in the medical field, to have great health insurance, to have had five months of postpartum leave in Massachusetts, to have a loving partner and a home. And I still went through such a hard time. I can't imagine what this experience would have been like without the resources that I have. I feel that we need to come together as women and we can't accept the status of what it's like to have a baby today in the United States. We need longer, guaranteed parental leave, and we need to advocate for these changes to our lawmakers. I'm currently reading the Nordic Theory of Everything, and it's just fascinating learning about how other countries have successfully been able to do this because they value women and they value families, and I hope we can start doing the same. Thank you for making this platform. Hey, Lindsay. uh, My name's Erica, and I'm actually going to talk about two topics. The first one is about my mat leave. And the next topic is my experience trying to get help for my postpartum anxiety. So a bit about myself. I worked for almost 10 years in a major regional medical health center, but was so frustrated by the horrendous treatment of mothers that I ended up leaving 
and now I'm a photographer and I set my own schedule and it works well for me. So my story. The first one is at the place where I worked. I did not get paid maternity leave, obviously. And my work was my career. It wasn't just a job to me. So I was very clear when I left to my team and my boss that, you know, just because I'm on maternity leave, I'm not dead. You can still reach me. You know, I'm happy to stay involved in sort of a hands-off way. And three weeks after my second child was born, I got an email from my boss asking if I could go to New Jersey. And I live in the South. (laughs) So it was not a close trip. This was a plane ride away for a meeting. And I didn't really know how to respond to that because no, of course, I couldn't go to that. I was still bleeding. I was nursing my child every hour. And so I told her that I wasn't comfortable. Did she really feel like she needed me? And she said, yes, we really need you. And at that point, I felt like my job was in jeopardy and I felt a little threatened. And so I had to go. So I pumped on the plane next to my boss's boss. (laughs) I went, it was awful and they didn't need me. And it was just very frustrating and eye opening that it was, it just felt like a power play. And then from that point on the rest of my team and department sort of took that as a free for all that I was back and in the office, it was kind of a free pass to just hit me up with all of their questions and concerns. And I was pretty much just back to work after that, after three weeks. And, you know, in hindsight, I should have stood up for myself and advocated a little more, but I was also in a, not a very good mental state of mind at that point. And so I went back at which point I was just immediately scheduled back into back-to-back meetings. I had no time to pump. And then the place that they gave me to pump was this storage closet, which you could barely even sit. I had to move printers out of the way just to sit down. I could barely reach the plug. I had to like climb underneath boxes. And this room was what all the mothers were supposed to be using. And so I could never even get in to use this room. And that was that was their solution for how I was supposed to pump at work. And I voiced my complaints many times. I requested a pumping room. And when I was there, that was never addressed. When I asked about reducing my hours because I was stressed and um, feeling like I couldn't be both a mom and working at my job, my boss told me that I needed to hire more help. (laughs) And by that, she meant that I needed to hire household staff to help me so that I could do my job. And I explicitly told her, that's not what I mean. You make five times more than me. I can't afford more help, but that's not what I want. And I was never really given what I wanted. So eventually I left. There were many others in the same boat as me in that department, friends in different jobs everywhere. And what do I think... America could do to fix this a lot. (laughs) I think it's at bare minimum, mothers need paid leave. I mean, we don't even get the three months paid leave and three months is just 
stupid short time as it is. We other countries give a year paid leave. It's just horrendous that we don't even get a few months of it. I know some companies are giving paid leave, but it's just not the standard. So bare minimum, three months paid leave at least, but it should be a year. Mental health support services, we don't have, there's nothing in place to check on mothers after we give birth. It's you're just kicked out into the world. You're on your own. There's no mental health screenings. I mean, just baseline. Mothers should be screened a few weeks after leaving the hospital or the birth center. We need more services. And the second thing I'll talk about is my experience with that. But it's there's no support services for women to get the help they need after giving birth. The other bare minimum is affordable childcare. Mothers have to are expected to go back to work. What are you supposed to do with your kid? You know, a lot of times childcare is more expensive than actually going and working at your job. So one person ends up having to quit their job when they don't want to because they're making less than childcare costs. And there should be free childcare for children under five, in my opinion. But affordable childcare would be a good start. It's kind of hard to believe that our country is so far behind. These are things that other countries are offering. And it's kind of embarrassing and depressing that we don't have this in place. It takes a village and women are just thrust out there like you're on your own. And we're just expected to do it all. And then the men show up and do what the women have been doing all along. And they're applauded for being present and active and great dads. And it's just all a big hypocritical circle. The second topic is my experience with trying to get help after my second was born. And I was suffering from um, pretty severe postpartum anxiety. It was debilitating. I couldn't function. I couldn't, couldn't work. I couldn't really couldn't take care of my kids. I was crying every day. It was just, I was non-functional. I was very ill. I was not in a good place. And I went to my HR department and asked for my official FMLA, which I didn't technically get um, after my kid was born. And they gave me an overwhelming list of things I had to do and hoops I had to jump through to make this happen that just at the time seemed completely unattainable. Um, But one of those things was a doctor's note. So I went to my primary care physician who I'd seen for 10 years. She said that she didn't feel comfortable giving me a note even after I explained what was going on. She referred me to a specialist. I went to the specialist. I didn't even... I barely got through the door and he said, what are you doing here? How'd you get in? I only see pregnant people. The whole appointment, he was angry and annoyed. He referred me to someone else who condescendingly told me that physicians weren't here to treat just garden variety mom worries and that he couldn't help me. And I had in great detail laid out how non-functional I was and some of the insane things that were going through my mind and how I couldn't work and I couldn't take care of my kids. And it was just like a big fat eye roll, almost like this is just a hysterical woman sitting in front of me and these women, you know, so that was really upsetting. And I did finally find someone 
who acknowledged that I was having a problem. I got medicated, um, counseled, and was essentially cured in just a few months' time with just the proper help. But I spent months thinking that I was just some hysterical woman and having all these physicians just turn their back on me, roll their eyes at me, you know, just kind of felt like a witch hunt. And it's depressing to me that this, there's not more systems in place to deal with postpartum anxiety and depression are so incredibly common. And if women are just getting turned away and no one believes them, we're, we're just setting everyone up for failure. I have a friend who went through something similar and started a whole company to deal with this issue. It's just, there's just such a major gap, our whole system with how to handle the mental health of mothers. There should be screenings. We should get checked on after we give birth. There should be a system in place for what to do if you need help. And, you know, I feel like I was offered nothing. You're just sent out on your own. It takes a village to get through all this. And we're, we're literally just abandoned by society and expected to do it all and get turned away. And I, we get eye rolls when we try to cry out for help. So I think it's horribly upsetting that there aren't systems in place for this, but at the very least screenings, checkups, there should be services in place, protocols for when women need medication, all of these things. And our, our country just does a real shit job of providing that. So anyway, thank you so much for doing this. I hope it helps. This episode is sponsored by KiwiCo. With a KiwiCo subscription, you're giving so much more than just a toy. These crates are a way to get your child involved with hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered to your door every month. Kids love awaiting the crates, and they get really excited when they show up. We've received KiwiCo boxes over the past few years, and it's always a great way to connect with our children and watch them learn and have fun. I love seeing their reactions when they're able to build something and watch it come to life, and many kits allow them to collaborate together to create, and I love watching that happen as well. Their kits are age-based, and there is something for everyone. They've also had some seasonal and holiday-themed kits recently, which are on my list for next month. Give a hands-on crate this holiday season with KiwiCo. You can get your first month of any crate line free at kiwico.com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. That's your first month free at K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. The link will also be placed in my show notes. Hi, Lindsay. My name is Elizabeth O'Connor. Thank you for giving us moms the opportunity to talk about this, this very, very important topic. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I work as a corporate counselor full-time, and I have a private practice, which is my side hustle. I work about 55 hours a week, six days a week. I am the breadwinner of of our family. And I wanted to talk to everyone about lack of maternity leave. Uh, and how this is not okay, and how this impacts a family negatively, and how it impacts 
companies negatively, right? So it's going to impact bottom line as well because we need to take better care of our mothers. And in turn, we will also yield more profits in time. So my story is that we we got pregnant earlier than we planned in 2019. My husband and I, we were planning to have a baby you know, two years from then so we could save money as I don't have maternity leave with my full-time job, right? So I needed to save money. Uh, we were not in a financial situation to to have money saved at that time. But anyway, determined to, of course, do the best we can. So 2020 rolls around. It's a pandemic. My husband loses his job because of the pandemic. He is in hospitality. He's a bartender. So he loses his job. The restaurant closes. Uh, mama over here, you know, continues to, to work full time and also do private practice virtually. We have our baby in June 2020, Seneca, her name is, and my company doesn't give any paid leave. So they let you cash out your vacation time and your sick time. And then you have the option of going through New York State to get maybe it's like 60% of your pay. It's a state program. Um, 60% of your pay for 10 weeks, I believe it is. So it wasn't, you know, nothing, you know, that was helpful to have that, uh, which sent me back to working full time at four months, right? I had to go back because I was going to have no income at four months. But anyway, because I didn't have any paid maternity leave and, you know, I did have six weeks using vacation time, fine. But then once I went back to work, I had no vacation and no sick time. So how does that work for a mother who has a new child going back in fall, winter time, sicknesses are going to come, you know, I had to wait to accrue my time back up, right? So not ideal, not ideal. And I also had to go back to work for my private practice. Uh, That is my own business. You know, it's my responsibility to save money for that. So I went back to work at three weeks postpartum mostly because I was not going to get my full pay for 10 weeks after my vacation and sick time ended. So I went back three weeks postpartum to being a therapist in my private practice to try to supplement my income to make up for what I wasn't making because I don't, I didn't get paid my salary. This has a chain reaction, right? So I have a really hard time breastfeeding. I have a really hard time learning how to pump. You know, three weeks postpartum, I was in a daze, right? Like not an ideal time to go back to work, you know, even part-time. I think I was doing maybe 15 hours a week at that point. Not ideal. As a result, you know, I my milk dried up pretty quick because of the stress. I had to supplement, which, you know, is not I have zero judgment, but as a first time mom, you know, I grieved not being able to be really breastfeeding to my, to how I wanted to breastfeed or at least try. So I wasn't able to breastfeed and eventually my milk completely dried out because I got my period back because I was supplementing. So that also had some chain reaction to it, right? Like my daughter had stomach issues with formula. She had constipation issues. It was mentally exhausting to try to figure out like what formula would act best for her. This is common. A lot of parents deal with it, but 
this was a direct result of having to go back to work at three weeks postpartum. So do I know other people in the same position? Yes. I mean, most of my friends don't get maternity leave. There's been a few companies that I've heard recently that are giving some maternity leave like three months paid. Great. The most I've heard from a friend is a really small company. She works as a nurse. She gets six months paid because the women that worked there demanded that something change. And so it changed. Um, however, you know, the issue then is that they're not staffed enough to cover when the colleagues go on maternity leave. So this is common. This is something that is not okay. I think that if men were in our position, like they would have a guaranteed year, like there's no other way that it would go. Um, and I will say that to anyone, anyone that will listen without shame, like it would not be this way. You know, the times have changed. Women have careers. Women are breadwinners now, which also allows uh, partners to have more flexibility, straight male partners to have more flexibility in their careers too. So times have changed and we are not, we have not caught up. We have not even remotely began to treat women the way that is necessary to help support them in the work workplace. So what can we do about this? What are some solutions? It's not that hard. So what we need to do is staff appropriately. So, you know, for-profit, non-profit, staff appropriately. Stop lean staffing, right? No more lean staffing. If you staff appropriately and then give a person a true maternity leave, sure, perhaps it does take away from some profits to pay that person during that time and to hire two more people so that other coworkers are not completely strapped, but you're retaining quality workers. And women are quality workers. We are fast. We multitask. Our brains work differently. Um, we know how to prioritize because of everything that's on our plate. We're not giving enough recognition to what we provide to these companies. You have to staff appropriately and be willing to keep someone on payroll during maternity leave. It's it's at this point, I see it as a lack of respect that corporate America and again, nonprofits do it too, as society does to women, because it 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 how are we supposed to feel about that, right? It's it doesn't make space for us to actually have a career that's sustainable while being able to take care of our children. In parts of Europe, you know, we know that people get 18 months of maternity leave paid, right? People are able to work part-time and receive benefits, right? Like if I could receive benefits and work 20 hours a week, oh my goodness, my life would be beyond, beyond, I'd be thriving much more than I'm thriving now, right? Out of survival mode. So we need to create jobs that actually allow women to be moms without being burnt out. Yeah, there's a crisis right now. Moms are burnt out. We wonder why, right? So there's a lot to be done, right? There's a lot to be done in our systems. You know, sometimes I think that the system is set up this way. So we do just leave, you know, corporate or, or we leave careers and we go backwards, right? Because the system is not set up for us to thrive. So yes, I'm still working 55 hours a week, but uh, my daughter's too. And we, I'm figuring out a way to eventually go into consulting so that I can work less. 
I just have one more thing to add. Um, and I, I want to kind of open this up to other mothers too. So I said, how do we change this maternity leave process? It, it means staffing appropriately and being willing to pay your employees while they're away, right? So perhaps that might, that does impact bottom line, right? Not perhaps, like it does. So my question is, and I don't have the answer to this yet, because for, for capitalism, it all kind of comes down to money, right? So I've struggled with being able to communicate to higher ups about what financial benefit would come from keeping women employed and taking care of them and staffing appropriately, right? I, I'm trying to figure out how to gather that data or if anyone else has any other ideas, I'm trying to brainstorm that because it's the only way I think in America that it's going to change unless it becomes a federal law, unless like politicians make it something that needs to be offered. That is all. Thank you. Hi, Lindsay. The topic I'll be covering is my story on maternity leave from my job. My name is Carrie. I'm an engineer and I've been in my field for 14 years. I have two kids, age six and two, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share my story about maternity leave. I did not have paid maternity leave for the birth of either of my children, except for the few weeks of accrued paid vacation and sick leave that I completely exhausted. From my daughter's birth in 2016, I had accrued approximately five weeks of paid time off, followed by approximately 10 weeks of unpaid time off. For my son in July of 2020, similar story, except since I had not saved up as much paid leave in the preceding months and years as with my daughter, I had only about three weeks of paid leave and the remaining 12 weeks I took were unpaid. Thankfully, even though I earn about 55% of our household income, we were able to absorb those months without my pay fine, but it was definitely impactful. In mid-2020, we were advised the parental leave policy changed. 12 weeks of paid family leave will be granted for births or adoption placements occurring on or before October 1st, 2020. Great news! My son was born at the end of July. Therefore, even though I would still be on maternity leave when that new policy went into effect, I was not eligible. I contacted representatives at my job for clarification on this policy, as did many others in a similar situation, and was apologetically told that as the policy was interpreted and implemented, even if I gave birth at 11.59 p.m. on September 31st, I would not be eligible for paid leave. I understand there had to be a cutoff, but this was very frustrating. Thankfully for the births of both of our children, my husband was granted four weeks of paid parental leave, but me, the one physically recovering from birth, was not. The lack of paid maternity leave resulted in three major impacts for us. First, it was a financial burden, especially with our second child where I had less paid leave and already had our first in childcare. Further, I carry the health insurance for my family, so when I returned to work, we had to catch back up on our health insurance premiums. Additionally, taking so much unpaid time off delayed my eligibility for pay raises. Second, I also experienced incredibly difficult postpartum anxiety with my daughter and again with my son, plus all the additional stress and challenges brought by the early phase of the pandemic. Returning to work after welcoming each of my children as a full-time working mom was hard enough, and the financial and logistical hit from taking unpaid time off was an extra source of stress. Third, and arguably the most challenging result of my time off, was that once I did go back to work, I had zero paid leave banked to cover time off for the multitude of times my kids were sick from school or daycare, much less for my own health care. In a number of instances, I had to take additional unpaid time off to care for sick children at home, even after I'd returned to work. 
Ultimately, it took me about a year to accrue and maintain enough of a bank of paid leave to, one, accommodate needed sick days with my kids and time for my own doctor's appointments, and two, take a vacation with my family without needing to make up the lost work hours at night and on weekends. My husband and I managed all the challenges of that season and the consequences of the time I did take away from my job, and I'm grateful for the support and flexibility offered by my bosses at my job to ease those challenges as best as they could. But the lack of paid parental leave added layers of difficulty to a time that would have been strenuous enough even if I'd had access to that 12 weeks of paid parental leave. A lack of paid parental leave isn't just a short-term financial burden due to missing paychecks. It creates a cascade of negative consequences that impacts a family's quality of life long after the parental leave is over. I know I'm not the only one that has been in this position. I have been fortunate over the years to become close friends with a few colleagues, and we've all had at least two children since we've met years ago. We've all experienced similar challenges around parental leave as none of our collective 13 births except one were eligible for paid parental leave. I think the progress made in recent years in the public and private sectors in expanding access to paid parental leave is wonderful, and that should certainly continue as there are plenty of areas in the workforce that still lack paid parental leave. Additionally, I think societal, professional, and cultural recognition of the need for broader access to paid parental leave needs to continue to shift to, in turn, exert pressure on those businesses and employers that do not yet offer paid parental leave. To that end, I think it's important for each of us that have been affected in various ways to share those stories and have conversations in our relationships and in the workplace with policymakers about our experiences to advocate for change. I firmly believe that when families are better supported, we all, including employers, benefit. This issue can't be one of, well, it was tough for me, so it should be for you because that's how it works, but instead must be, it was tough for me, so I want to make it better for you. My name is Kelsey Molesky. I am 30 years old. I live in Minnesota. I've been married for five years and I have two children. My son is two and my daughter is 10 months old. Both of my children have been born during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm also finishing up my doctoral degree in counseling psychology and will be working in early childhood mental health. Specifically, I'll be working with parents and their kids who have been diagnosed with neurodevelopmental disorders and who have experienced trauma. My stories, I've had two very different but equally eventful childbirthing experiences. Both pregnancies and births have had a theme where my husband and I felt powerless and experienced a lack of collaboration for medical decisions and basically felt out of the loop the entire time. With my first, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes even though my numbers never exceeded the threshold that they said. I was told I had to get induced, but never explained the medical reason for why. And I spent five days during my induction with absolutely no insight into the rhyme or reason and ended up having to have an emergency C-section where my husband was not allowed in the operation room and I was put under anesthesia. My husband was left in the labor and delivery room Without a wife or a child, neither of us experienced the birth of our first child. Later, my husband was given our son and was not told about how I was doing for two hours. The lack of communication, empathy, compassion, and information left us both feeling lost, helpless, and terrified. We felt the system failed us because they were supposed to be taking care of us and supporting us. And instead, 
We felt like we were lost in a room of adrenaline and forgotten about and forgot how to talk to us using empathy and compassion. The joy and love was lost with our first child's birth. The birth of our second child was no less eventful. However, she came in a fiery fury and we were spiraling quickly. My mind and body were not aware of what labor and delivery felt like because the first time I was forced into labor. My daughter was born within two hours of my water breaking, and by the time we got to the hospital, I had such intense pain and contractions that no one would give me any answers or clarity on how I was progressing or what the plan was. I was told no so many times within the 20 minutes I was there before my baby was born that I didn't even know if either of us were okay. I was told I was getting a C-section one minute and then rolled into a room the next and told to push. I said, no one's listening to me over and over, and yet no one would give myself or my husband any answers. I was told I could not take any medicine, and then I was cut, and my baby was vacuumed out without my knowledge or approval. She was finally born, and I didn't get to hold her. They took her away and did not say if she was okay or not, and it wasn't until after they sewed me up that I got to hold my baby. Once again, I feel like I missed out on the birth of my child. After both of my children were born, I was not able to take an actual maternity leave. I was expected to attend class a week after my son was born and start work a month later. I also returned six weeks after my daughter was born. Having to heal, rest, take care of my family, and bond with my newborns was very difficult to do when the expectation was to return to life as normal in such a quick time period. Once again, I feel that the system we have in place for new mothers is not adequate for the bonding and healing we're expected to do after childbirth. As far as meeting others in the same position, I think that many women who have had babies felt like they did not have enough information before giving birth. I've spoken to many friends and relatives and they've had different experiences, but They still had several incidences where they didn't understand a medical procedure or what to expect during labor and delivery. I don't think that this is the only time that somebody has experienced this. And as far as the maternity leave problem, I have had several classmates and friends who've also had babies while in school, and many of them had several similar experiences as far as maternity leave goes. The only option that we had was to either extend our program if we wanted to have children or wait five years to finish our program and then have babies. Our school did allow us to bring our babies into the classroom with us, but we were still expected to show up one week after having a baby and get our assignments done. As far as how to fix this problem, I think the biggest thing that we can do as a country is provide more support for women on maternity leave. I think the expectation that you go back to school or work within the first year of the baby's life is really challenging. Ultimately, I think the best thing to do is provide more education to individuals who are pregnant or wanting to have children. We have to change the way the health care is provided. If you're able to understand information and give consent, we should be able to be part of the decision-making on how long we get to spend with our babies. I think being able to have a job when you return from maternity leave is also important because we're at home supporting and bonding with our babies. We don't want to be at home stressing about if we're going to have a job when we come back. I think the best fix would be to lengthen 
maternity leave or paternity leave and guarantee that we have a job when we get back. I think that there should also be more education provided to individuals who are pregnant or wanting to have children. We have to change how information is shared. Providing consent is necessary for procedures. I think that if we can safely be part of decision-making, we should be allowed to do that. And I think knowing the difference between something that's emergent and urgent is important. Ultimately, patient dignity and collaboration on medical decisions should be a vital part of our healthcare system. It allows the person who is having the procedure done to them to feel like they're aware of what's going on and more in charge of their body and the outcome. Hi, Lindsay. My name is Dana Rovido. I wrote to you recently about the child care crisis that is going on right now. My son is four years old. He will be five in December of 2022. He has been in daycare. He started at seven months old, part-time, and we had family helping us. And then he went to full-time daycare uh, when, he start- when he was about two years old. The current rate due to COVID, due to inflation, has been raised. So he's in a pre-K-4 program. Their hours never went back to normal since COVID. There's no explanation as to why the rate has been increased. But from what I was paying last year for, let's say, pre-K-3 to this school year for pre-K-4, they raised it $100 a month, which I, I know there's a teacher shortage. I know there's inflation. I know there's COVID. But at the end of the day, there was no explanation as to why beyond those reasons as to why we were being raised for that much a month. Last year, we were raised $65 a month from where we were. So currently, the rate that he's at is $13.75 a month, which started in September. And that was the rate for the infant room for five full days a week when he started in uh, July of 2018 was for five days a week. It was $13.75. So that was the rate back in 2018, and now it's 2022, and that's the rate for pre-K-4. So it is just through the roof. I don't know, you know, what exactly the solution is. There are some towns that provide full-day pre-K. I do work full-time, so he does need to be in, like, a program. The hours of my daycare are only basically 8 to 5.30. Before COVID, it was 7.15 to 6.15, which also makes me feel like a horrible mother because there were oftentimes he was there till six o'clock as, you know, uh, you know, eight or 10 month old, you know, he was there, you know, all those hours. And now, you know, with COVID, you know, that's a benefit in some ways. It's like, okay, I pick him up at five. I do have a hybrid schedule of working in the office and working from home. I do have parents that help and like to pick him up and spend time with him. So I'm fortunate in those ways, but the price is just, you know, through the roof and we registered and and I did formally write an email to the owner of the daycare because we do love the school. We love the program. It's a Reggio Emilio um, program, which is similar to like a Montessori. They spend a lot of time outside. They incorporate a lot of outside things inside a lot of focus on play, free play, 
a lot of different things that they do that I, I do like. But since COVID, I just feel like everything has changed beyond just the pricing, even just the school itself and the programs that they offer and the hours. And, you know, it just is just unfortunate. But some some of my friends have in their towns full day pre-K. Um, some of them I think are free. Some of them, you know, they pay a small a small portion for. So my town just doesn't offer that. They offer like a two and a half hour program, which would be more for like a stay-at-home mom, but you do pay for it. That's just not an option for me. I can relate to you in so many different ways on the different topics that you mentioned, you know, in this email from, you know, I had him, he's a preemie NICU baby. So he had a NICU stay for uh, 12 days in the NICU, which is not a lot compared to other people, but still definitely changes a lot of different things and affects you mentally. And I didn't really realize how much it affected me until, you know, after and reflecting on it. I did breastfeed for 13 months. So I'm super proud of that. He never had formula. And part of the reason why he never had formula is because after my son was born, he was born at 530 at night, probably somewhere around nine, 10 o'clock at night, they came in and said that, you know, he had low sugar. They were going to try formula and he wound up having a bloody stool. So when the doctor came in, they said, you know, his stool is bloody. If he you know, has to go on a formula, have to go on a special kind because he's allergic to the formula. And I think in that moment, just that like mama bear instinct kicked in. And I was like, I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta get going. I gotta get this kid as much breast milk as possible. And I just became a machine. And I think there's so much that they don't tell you. And there's so many things that you're not prepared for. And, you know, my sister was with me and she had already breastfed two of her kids, but everyone's experience is really so different. And I just, I went home without my baby and I pumped every three hours around the clock and continued to do so because then I was, after he even came home, I was just so worried that he wouldn't, you know, be gaining enough weight to have him, you know, so he was still, I was still pumping, pumping, pumping. And after probably like a month and a half, two months, my pediatrician said, you know, let's try to get him, you know, on your breast and, and try to make this a little bit easier. And yeah, so I, I went back to work after 13 weeks and I did a, I had enough vacation days where I did a slow progression back, which I think really helped because I think, with everything I had gone through, I, and I think just my personality in that, like I turned on the switch to decide like, okay, I'm going to breastfeed like, and I'm going to pump. And I had a huge supply and probably if I didn't stop, I probably would have had like, just like crazy milk to just like donate to someone because it just like, I started pumping from day one and it just, you know, definitely it becomes just like the amount just becomes crazy. I didn't bond with him initially. Um, because I think that I have, and I've had that personality where I was looking for the gold star. I was looking for that, you know, am I doing a good job? Am I doing a good job? I don't know if I'm doing a good job. And so I, you know, he's an infant, he's not going to say it. So I just didn't bond with him initially. So when I went back to work, I, um, started back at, at three days a week and then I went to four days and I didn't go to five days until after he was nine months old. So that was nice because I was really able to enjoy the breastfeeding experience, 
you know, I only had a pump when I was at work for, you know, a couple of times that really allowed us, I think, to bond and, and get to like a deeper now, of course, you know, he, he's four, almost five and thinks that, you know, he still should be <laughs> held sometimes. I'm like, you know, so the bond's definitely there, but in the beginning, it's definitely hard. So childcare, preemie NICU, I'm trying to think what else I would, I would vouch for. I'm in New Jersey. So they actually, since I've had my son, they've increased the amount of time you can stay home and they've increased the amount of, amount of your salary you get paid. So I think those are all positive things. I think that's it for now. I think knowledge is power and the more we can support each other as women, as we go through all these different walks of life, the better. I think that's it. Thanks. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.